Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on 88.3 WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on the heart of the East End. Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York on October 7th, 2022, I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. A sad start to the news this morning as we report that Stephen Skrinecki, who served as the Nassau County Police Department's highest-ranking uniformed officer and public face of many high-profile crime investigations before becoming the Southampton Town Police Chief, died at his home in Hicksville yesterday. Robert Brodsky and Matthew Chase report on Newsday.com that Skrinecki, 69, had been sick with myelodysplastic syndrome, a form of cancer, for the past seven months, according to his son, Scott, who serves as a detective sergeant in NASA's third squad. Quote, while my father obviously devoted his whole career to public service, his devotion to his family and his friends was ten times as strong, Scott Skrinecki said Thursday. Stephen Skrinecki, who also has a home in Sag Harbor, joined the Nassau Police Department in 1974 as a patrol officer. During a 42-year career with the department, he would oversee robbery, vice, narcotics, internal affairs, and detective units before becoming chief of the department, the highest uniformed rank under the commissioner. In 2017, Skrinecki left the NCPD, one of the nation's largest suburban police departments, to take over the 100-member Southampton Town Police Force. Southampton Town Supervisor Jay Schneiderman called Chief Skrinecki one of the finest individuals he has ever known, adding the chief led a distinguished career in law enforcement, which included serving as our police chief for six years, always making public safety safety his highest priority. Southampton Town is forever grateful for his service. Schneiderman said Captain James Kiernan will assume Skrinecki's duties in Southampton on an interim basis, according to town police spokesperson Lieutenant Susan Ralph. In other news, a federal judge yesterday blocked large portions of a New York gun law, jeopardizing a measure that was passed just three months earlier and underscoring the difficulty that states may face in restricting the public carrying of firearms after a major Supreme Court ruling in June. In a 53-page order, the judge, Glenn T. Sudeby of the North D- Northern District, said he would block the state from enforcing several pre- provisions, writing that New York's attempts to bar guns in a number of places deemed sensitive, including museums, theaters, stadiums, Times Square, libraries, placing, places offering services to children, and anywhere alcohol is served, appeared impermissible. Jonah E. Bromwich in the New York Times reports that Judge Sudeby based his decision on the June ruling, which struck down a restrictive law that had stood for more than a century. The judge agreed to a three-business-day delay of his order pending an emergency appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. That panel could take the issue up and grant a significantly longer stay. If it does not, the order will take effect. The, real, the ruling dealt a sharp blow to New York, which had sought 
to provide a model for new gun legislation for the five other states whose laws were invalidated by the Supreme Court's June ruling, in part by outlining how those sensitive places where the court said it was permissible for states to bar guns can be defined. New York State Attorney General Letitia James said her office would appeal Quote, today's decision comes in the wake of mass shootings and rampant gun violence hurting communities here in New York and across the country. While the decision preserves portions of the law, we believe the entire law must be preserved as enacted, said James Democrat. A spokesperson for Gun Owners of America, an organization to which all the plaintiffs belong, said in a statement that, quote, if the Second Circuit does allow New York's gun law to remain in place, the group sh- uh, would consider an immediate appeal to the Supreme Court, end quote. Looking ahead um, to this Monday's Indigenous Peoples Day, we'll have Jeremy Dennis and possibly Hunter Begun joining us at 1025 to talk about the Ma's House podcast. But at 7 p.m., there is also some special programming here on WLIWFM. Indigenous Youth Nation will celebrate culture, empower youth, nourish knowledge, inspire intergenerational dialogue, and build strong roots for our future generations. In recognition of Indigenous Peoples Day, this Monday, October 10th at 7 p.m., right here on WLIWFM. And finally, a it's a sad sandwich of a news report this morning. Police said the pilot of a single-engine airplane who was also the president of the East Hampton Aviation Association, was killed yesterday when his aircraft crashed off Three Mile Harbor. John Asbury and Robert Brodsky report on Newsday.com that East Hampton Town Police received a 911 call shortly after 12.30 p.m. Thursday, reporting the crash on the water's edge along Oyster Shores, where it appeared the plane suffered some kind of catastrophic mechanical failure, causing it to crash. The pilot was identified last night as Kent Furing, 57, of Sagaponic, a film and television producer and esteemed member of the East Hampton flying community. Furing was the president of the East Hampton Aviation Association, a pilot's advocacy group, and a member of the recently disbanded Airport Management Advisory Committee, which advised the town on the management of East Hampton Airport. He was a native of Miami who had summered with his family in Amagansett since childhood and more recently split his time between L.A., New York City, and Sagaponic. Witnesses of yesterday's plane crash told police they saw what appeared to be a wing that broke off the fuselage before the aircraft spiraled downward into the water, according to Christopher L. Anderson, a captain with the East Hampton Town Police. FAA officials said the plane was a C-MAX M-22 fixed-wing amphibious aircraft with two seats. How incredibly cool. The FAA and the National Transportation Safety Board will investigate with the crash scene handled by the NTSB, which handles all aircraft incidents. A flight-aware history of the plane's registration number shows it was registered in East Hampton in April. The plane took off from East Hampton Town Airport at 12.19 on Thursday. It was in the air for about nine minutes and was last seen at 12.28 near East Hampton, according to online records. Rest in love, Mr. Furing. Staying in the sky but sliding over to Sag Harbor for the weather in honor of our first guest, director J.D. Dillard, who will be attending the Hamptons International Film Festival tomorrow as HIF screens for the first time 
in the United States his new film, Devotion, based on the best-selling book by Adam Makos about two elite U.S. Navy fighter pilots during the Korean War. You will not want to miss that at about 9.25 here on The Heart. Looking like a sunny Friday with a high near 72 degrees, west wind 5 to 8 miles per hour, a 30% chance of rain tonight mainly after 5 a.m., increasing clouds with a low around 49 degrees, west wind 7 to 10 miles per hour becoming north after midnight. Right now it's a lovely 62 degrees and I've got the gold edition uh, getting started w- for you this morning with Vance Joy. We've got first aid kit, yeah, yeah, yes, fruit bats, and Don Cherry before Neil Young. Uh, wrapping it all around Eva Cassidy's field of fields of gold. I played it in Eva Cassidy track for you, uh, I think this week, and got a lovely note and a request for Eva's uh, version of Fields of Gold. So we've got that coming up for you. 21 Pilots and Noah and the Whale. After that, your featured local track will be Gold Watch and Chain from the Bell Curves with a big hug going out to WLIWFM's own Delaney Hafner. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Vance Joy. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Stay tuned. to let it go it won't let go of me hanging by a thread cutting the cord and then falling back into the black cause if I don't if I wait till it feels right I'll be waiting my whole life closing my eyes remember how we were like gold when you see me hide if you need me babe that's the way it was that's the history blue how we used to roar like an open fire, that's the way it was, but that's history. That's the way it was, but that's history. That's the way it was, but that's history. I have a memory, you're visiting me at night, climbing in my bed. You were so quiet that you never woke me I love the way you could See the good in everything But do we feel the fire? Closing my eyes Remember how we were like gold When you see me high If you need me, babe That's the way it was That's the history blue How we used to roar Like an open fire That's the way it was But that's history Started with a word Look at where we are, everything we've done Is there on our faces for anyone willing to read between the lines Now look at where we are, everything we've done Is there on our faces for anyone willing to That's the way it was, but that's history I'm trying to change 
Look at where we are, everything we've done. Starting out with just one. Sun shone high those few summer days, left us in a soft, wide-eyed haze. It shone like gold. It shone like gold. But just as the moon, it shall stray. So
Is it from the book The Outsiders that quote Stay Gold Pony Boy? I think so. That was Stay Gold, the title track to First Aid Kits 2014 record moving ahead here on the Gold Edition to Gold Line. Yeah, yeah, yes. From their 2006 record Show Your Bones here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, JD Dillard, joining us in just a few minutes here on the Heart of the East End. The weekday morning and midnight show on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. So stay tuned uh, here on the 88.3 section of your FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk. Of course, streaming online to wherever you are at WLIW.org slash radio.
We've got another title track coming our way, and I really love this record, too. This is Gold Past Life. Fruit Bats here on WLIWFM. Fruit Bats Gold Past Life here on the Gold Edition of the Heart of the East End, the morning and midnight show on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. It is Friday morning at 9.30, which means it is time for our Friday morning tea underwritten by Village Overhead Doors, of course, just after midnight. If you're listening to the replay, and we are honored to have on the show this morning, Director J.D. 
Dillard, whose brand new film, uh, Devotion, is going to have its first screening here in the U.S., a special screening tomorrow, too, actually, uh, during the Hamptons International Film Festival. Good morning, J.D. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Super psyched to see Devotion. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about how you decided to make this film. Of course, it's about Jesse Brown, who was uh, the first African-American pilot to graduate from Navy training. Uh, We're talking about uh, racist hostility in a recently desegregated military, and we're talking about the Korean War. Uh, We we did an interview uh, just the other morning with a local person whose uh, 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 great-grandfather, I believe, was one of the first African-American people to fight for our country, and this was during World War II, Uh, They were fighting over in France, and uh, the French army allowed them to to, uh, be combat soldiers. And it just blew my mind how long after that it took before the the, uh, uh, forces were desegregated. Can you talk a little bit about uh, this topic and these people? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I I had sort of put into the ether that uh, I wanted to tell a story in and around aviation because my connection to it is actually um, (laughs) pretty specific by way of um, I was born on a Navy base, uh, grew up around this world. Um, Quite literally, my first memory uh, was burning my hand on the nose of a jet uh, after an air show that my dad performed in because he was – uh, a, a Blue Angel um, in the late 80s, early 90s, naval aviator himself. And, you know, when I was introduced to Jesse's story, you know, read the script for the first time and very shortly after read the book that our film is um, uh, adapted from, you know, there was the peculiarity that there, there were so many points of connection between Jesse's story and my father's, even though, you know, they were 30 years apart. So I I found myself with this kind of incredible opportunity to not just honor the story of, you know, of Jesse and his wingman, Tom Hudner, but in some way also an opportunity to get to tell my dad's story. And that that just was, you know, all planets aligning, telling me that uh, this is the story I had to tell. This story came to you. Absolutely. It's it's like if you believe in fate, uh, it was fate that you would make devotion uh, one day. That is unbelievable. So I, I, I've got to know a little bit more about your father now, if you don't mind uh, deviating a bit from 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 the film itself. Uh, sorry, one more time. If you don't mind just talking a little bit more about your father as a Blue Angel and as an aviator himself. Yeah, so, I mean, he... he um... He was a naval flight officer. Um, he was on the team from 89 to 91. And, you know, they're, they're, the, the points of connection, again, between him and Jesse are <laughs> um, often stranger than fiction, you know. Uh, one being just, you know, their, their sort of interest in this started, you know, at about the same age um, as a family member, you know, took them to uh, see an air show. Um, and, you know, I, I think one thing that I really want to pull into devotion, because I think it, it is, um, it's honestly in both Jesse and my dad's story that re- regardless of sort of the racial adversity they would face in pursuit of that goal, um, it, it honestly, the first seed was joy. The first seed was, was passion. Um, and, and it was 
quite simply just wanting to fly and fly in an environment where the best pilots were right. um, and and to celebrate that, you know, um, because we, we know, especially given that Jesse would be the first and speaking in terms of the film that, you know, he, he will face plenty in pursuit of that goal. Um, but, you know, I think in telling these stories and um, and the modern age, so to speak, you know, it, it's also important to, to, to note and acknowledge, um, you know, this of joy that sends, um, you know, a lot of black first on, on their, on their journeys. Yes. You know, I really, I, I would love to just take a moment uh, to, to just thank all of those aviators who helped push history forward. I mean, uh, if you talk to anyone who really loves to fly and generally you don't become a pilot unless you do, uh, the bug often bites the person early and uh is so yes. it's so hard to to ignore that you you know you look at history and you see uh as far as as the race stories are concerned how how this how these people really helped to push forward the, you know the the uh the civil rights and the civil rights movement yeah yeah, I mean, it, it's again, it's it, there's this interesting thing that happens. I think, with, um, you know, a, a lot of our first, so to speak, you know, um, in that the sort of cultural context. I mean, yes, one and they and we are aware, um, but you know, given given what Jesse wanted to do and given where that spark came from, and look, even related to it by way of and through the process of making this film. I mean, I have gain a much more, you know, intimate understanding and relationship and, and even awe of aviation. And I, I, like, I feel the tickle of that bug and, it, you know, that, that, that tickle is, is sort of, you know, devoid of, you know, racial financial reality. I mean, it's just, I like, I want to fly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and to, to, to sort of, you know, take this back both 30 and 70 years and apply that to, you know, um, what I'm sure my dad was feeling, what I'm sure was Jesse feeling, you know, I think just contextually, that's sort of a, it's, it's great table setting to where we find Jesse in the story, you know, um, someone who is already there, already the best, already respected. And, and, and then I think just in terms of the, the modern application of this storytelling, you know, it's, it's actually a more interesting place to me now you know, where we can see what the maintenance of that excellence is. Um, and also on, on sort of the darker side of it, the, the isolation that comes with it. And that is certainly a piece that, you know, in trying to tell Jesse's story um, earnestly and honestly, you know, I would often go back to my dad and be like, well, you know, what was it like, you know, not just getting there, but then staying there, being the only person there. Right. Um, and, you know, what that does to both your kind of heart, mind and soul, um, you know, when when at so many times it is just you by yourself. Right. Standing alone, standing apart, fighting the good fight, as they say, it's it's not um, it's not it's a beautiful thing in hindsight. But when you're the one doing it, yes, very lonely, very difficult. Um, and and yeah. that's why that's part of the reason why it's so important to honor folks like Jesse. I, I do want to mention Tom Hudner Jr. Uh, just a, a minute here uh, because 
this is a story also about a beautiful friendship and uh, devotion certainly is a perfect title uh, when you consider uh, is it giving away anything if we talk about uh, what Hudner did for Jesse Brown? You know, I think it's, you know, it's the odd thing about uh, working with true stories is, you know, um, uh, <laughs> it's very easy to, 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 to look up what, what happened and what transpired. Right. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about the two of them without, um, you know, the sort of events that really, uh, you know, bound them forever, you know, right. in, in history. But, you know, I, I guess to speak to it and slightly around it, you know, um, Jonathan Majors, who who plays Jesse Brown, you know, ha- has kind of articulated this in a way that um, it has been quite meaningful to me, you know, and, and it's it's interesting. I mean, it's it's a relationship that oddly kind of transcends friendship and 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 to just use the term as it is meant. I mean, it, it's it's more soulmate, you know, and right. and what that sort of destiny, the cosmic aspect of, you know, two men who, you know, it, you don't even have to be best friends to be bound in this way um, um, and to be part of each other's stories in such a specific way. Um, and sure, of course, the, you know, the, the, the title speaks to a large part of the same devotion, um, you know, and the lengths that we, 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 we go to for, for one another. But, you know, what was important to me, again, in telling this story today is that, you know, it's not, it's not, the story's not arced in a very, you know, plain and simple, you know, uh, racism ended in 1951 kind of <laughs> right. way. It's actually, right. you know, it's actually a story of mutual understanding, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, um, and sort of through the modern lens, understanding that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not as linear as one might think, you know, there's a lot of nuance um, required to, 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 to being there for someone. And you, you know, you also have to take into consideration someone's agency when wanting to be there for someone. Um, so I think these are, these are ways that we hope devotion can sort of, again, even though it takes place in 1950, you know, speak to the things that we're going through mm-hmm. uh, with a modern brushstroke. JD, we cannot thank you enough for making devotion. And we're so excited to be sharing in the first special screening here in the States Tomorrow at 11.15 at Sag Harbor Cinema, there will be a showing at 12.15 at East Hampton Middle School. You'll be there, J.D., not only uh, with your producer, Rachel Smith, but lead actress, Christina Jackson. So excited to meet all of you to see the film. Uh, For more information, you can go to hamptonsfilmfest.org. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was J.D. Dillard. This is Don Cherry and you, whoever you are out there. You're awesome. And you just heard the Friday morning tea underwritten by Village Overhead Doors here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Some sail away to Araby and other lands of mystery. But all the wonders that they see will never tempt me. Their memories will soon Band of Gold to Heart of Gold, going to Neil Young's Harvest record of 72. You're on the heart of the East End, Eva Cassidy, 21 Pilots, and Noah and the Whale on deck.
can tell the sun in his jealous sky when we walked in fields of gold when we walked in fields of gold when we walked in fields of gold Eva Cassidy fields of gold Twenty-one pilots here on WLIWFM NPR Radio. She asked me, son, when I grow old, will you buy me a house of gold? And when your father turns to stone, will you? take care of me she asked me son when i grow old will you buy me a house of gold and when your father turns to stone will you take care of me i you on the map I'll cure you of disease let's say we Put you on the map. I'll cure you of disease. Ah, I love that one. All right, I'm going to be leading you into the NPR news break with the bell curves, gold watch and chain. But first, Noah and the Whale, silver and gold from the Heart of Nowhere record here on WLIWFM. What you gonna do? 
With Long Island local news on WLIWFM, October 7th, 2022, I'm Gianna Volpe. The Southampton Town Police Department yesterday announced the death of its police chief, Stephen Skrinecki. Skrinecki, 69, joined the Southampton Town Police Department after a 42-year career with the Nassau County Police Department retiring as chief of the NCPD. In 2017, Skrinecki left one of the nation's largest suburban police departments to take over the 100-member Southampton force. Quote, the loss of such an honorable and respected officer will be felt across law enforcement from New York City to the east end of Long Island. Southampton Town Police said in a statement, quote, he dedicated himself to the profession while imparting his vast experience and knowledge to the people who worked Alongside him, Chief Skrinecki strived to make his communities a safer place for residents and visitors alike, the department said. Captain James Kiernan will assume Skrinecki's duties in Southampton on an interim basis, according to town police spokesperson Lieutenant Susan Ralph. In other news, work has begun to renovate and revamp the Bridgehampton Child Care and Recreational Center grounds, uh, a field which is used by children at the center, as well as community members for a variety of recreational purposes like playing soccer, 
kickball, and softball. In recent years, the field that had started to show signs of wear and tear, and it became clear that the center would need to solicit some input on the best way to fix it up. Kaylin Riley reports on 27East.com that to that end, Carl Johnson reached out to Edwina Von Gehl since retiring from a long career working at the Bridgehampton School and perhaps most notably coaching the school's varsity boys basketball team for decades. Johnson has become more involved at the center. Johnson knew that Von Gehl, a uh, landscape architect had the expertise and would guide the center in the right direction regarding the best way to not only renovate the field, but do it in an environmentally friendly and sustainable way. Not only will the new field be created using those techniques, but both Von Gell and led, uh, leaders from the center, like Executive Director Bonnie Cannon, are interested in engaging the children who come to the center in the process and the community at large as well. Quote, it will be a really nice grounds that people will be able to utilize, and it's for the entire Bridgehampton community, end quote. And finally, vacant warehouses may soon dot Long Island because the record number of warehousing projects under construction or on the drawing board will likely exceed storage needs, according to a new report. James T. Medora reports on Newsday.com that the industry's vacancy rate is projected to climb from 2.4% last year to between 6 and more than 9% by 2027 in Suffolk County if most of the proposed projects are completed. The economic development analysis firm Camoyne Associates states in the report, Suffolk is home to 68% of Long Island's warehouse space. Camoyne was hired by the Brookhaven Town Industrial Development Agency to study the future of warehousing, IDA, Board members sought the additional information after receiving five applications for tax breaks from developers who together want to construct 2 million square feet of warehouses in the town of Brookhaven, or 25% of the total additional warehouse space being proposed in Nassau and Suffolk counties. Quote, we see real potential for overbuilding. That's John Walker, an analyst for Camoyne, which is based in upstate Saratoga Springs. The potential for an upcoming recession could definitely drop back demand for warehouse space and the extent to which interest rates go up could make some of these projects no longer feasible. End quote. He and Camoyne Chief Operating Officer Rachel Selsky said the drawbacks of overbuilding include the closure of existing warehouses, job losses and tax breaks awarded to projects that cannot afterward find tenants. The Developers Group Association for a Better Long Island said the report's conclusions weren't surprising, and the Brookhaven leaders should trust market forces. Quote, when the financial community determines projects are not viable, it's an indication that the need for this kind of construction has receded. The group's executive director, Kyle Strober, said this week. Reading the weather in East Hampton in honor of the Climate Clapback Festival at the Ross School this Sunday, October 9th, from 2 to 5 p.m. at 18 Good Friend Drive, as Paul Gardside joins us at 10.45 this morning, 1.45 if you're listening to the replay, after Ashley Bell live from WLIWFM Studio 51 at the bottom of the hour, looking like a sunny Friday with a high near 71 degrees, southwest wind 7 to 9 miles per hour, and a 30% chance of rain mainly after 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. Increasing clouds tonight, with a low around 48 degrees west wind, 6 to 8 miles per hour becoming north after midnight, 
Right now it's 66 degrees and we are getting back to the gold edition of the heart with a little Towns Van Zant, Fleetwood Mac, Passenger, and Portugal, the man on deck. I'm Gianna Volpe. You, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. There was this, I gotta tell you all this joke. There was this, uh, this drunk walking down the street and he walks up to this cop and he says, man, somebody stole my car. The cop says, well, where was it? And he says, it was right on the end of this key. <laughs> the cop says, I don't know, man. Why don't you go down to the precinct house and uh, report it down there and they'll fill out all the proper forms, you know, and all that stuff. The guy says, okay. And he starts to walk off and the cop says, uh, before you go downtown, you better zip up your fly. The guy looks at him and says, oh, man, they got my girl, too. <laughs> Play this uh, <laughs> far out. I learned that from uh, Gary Jeff Walker. I play this song about playing uh, five card stud poker. It's called Mr. Mud and Mr. Gold. King of Clubs awoke. It was to his queen he turned. His lips were laughing as they spoke. His eyes like bullets burn. The sun's upon a gambling day. His queen smiled low and blissfully. Let's make some wretched fool to pay. Plain it was, she did agree. He sent his deuce down into diamond, his four to heart, and his trade a spade. Three kings with their legions come, and preparations soon were made. They voted club the day's commander, give him an army face and number, all but the outlaw jack of diamonds and the aces in the sky. Well, he give his sevens first instruction, spirit me a game of stud, stakes unscarred by limitation between a man named Gold and a man named Mud. Club filled gold with greedy vapors till his long green eyes did glow. Mud was left with the sighs and trembles watching his hard-earned money go. Flushes fell on gold like water, tins it paired and paired again. But the aces only flew through heaven and the diamond jack called no man friend. The diamond queen saw Mud's ordeal, began to think of her long lost son, fell to her knees with a mother's mercy, prayed to the angels, everyone. The diamond queen, she prayed and prayed, and the diamond angel filled Mud's hole. And the wicked king of clubs himself fell face down in front of gold. Now three kings come to clubs command, but the angels from the sky did ride. Three kings up on the streets of gold, three fireballs on a muddy side. The club queen heard her husband's call, but Lord, that queen of diamonds joy. When the outlaw in the heavenly hall turned out to be her wandering boy. Now Mud, he checked and gold bet all. Mud he raised and gold did call, and that smile just melted off his face when Mud turned over that diamond ace. Now here's what this story's told. You feel like Mud, you'll end up gold. Feel like lost, you'll end up found. So amigo, lay them raises down.
Approaching the bottom of the hour, 10 o'clock, just after 1 o'clock, if you're listening to the replay, that means it's time for our Hot Sights and Sounds segment underwritten by Sag Harbor Cinema. A perfect moment to have Ashley Bell and Anton Armendari joining us in the WLIWFM studio. And why? It's because it's the gold edition, but we're right on the precipice of all the tracks turning to golden songs. So we're right between Fleetwood Mac and Passenger, Golden Leaves, a little acoustic track. 
and very excited to have you in the studio with us, Ashley, for the first time in person. Yes, I'm really excited. Thanks so much for having us. We've been chatting a lot through the pandemic, all of the incredible performances that you've been able to do here and afar. Right now we're taking it back home to Bay Street tomorrow night at 8, the Shakespeare riots. Anton, if you want to start, since you're the director, this is a really cool story. Yes, absolutely. And what makes it more interesting is that it's a real story. It happened really in in New York. It took it took place in 1836. 1849. Eight, sorry, 1849. Numbers in English are always difficult. So, but it that space with the rest of the of the people and without really uh, with the uh, it doesn't matter who is beside you so all kind of people all kind of classes now we can go to a theater and this is because what happened that night in Astor Place in New York so we're talking about what did you say, Ashley? The, the the largest riot since since the American Revolution. That's right. Head blown off emoji or head blown emoji. I shouldn't say blown. That's very that was very sorry out there. Everyone eating their breakfast. Um, so tell us more about the the actual Shakespeare riots. What does it have to do? Are, are we t- are we talking about uh, riots that occurred? in response to something at at Astor Place, uh, Astor Place Opera House? Yes. So the Opera House, the Astor Place Opera House was uh, created in 1847 okay. by the group of New York, the upper class, which at that time was known as the Upper Ten or the Upper Ten Thousand um, or the Astorocracy is what they were nicknamed. And oh, they envisioned, I see what they did there. Yes. <laughs> and they envisioned the theater as a place where they could demonstrate their influence and be seen as opposed to a place where everyone could come together over a love of theater. And so already when they built this opera house, there were all these rules. People couldn't enter if they didn't have gloves. And so there was resentment building. Yes. And then another company rented the theater for a production of Macbeth, and they decided to have a British actor, Charles McReady. And this was the last straw, and the working class felt excluded because their favorite American actor, Edwin Forrest, was not chosen for the role, and they decided that they were going to protest. So they went to the theater, and a riot... There were actually two riots that occurred. There was first a riot during the performance, um, and then there was ultimately a riot outside the theater in Astor Place. Whoa! <laughs> All right, so, you know, for, for any folks out there who think theater... Art. Uh, these are not things that that matter or that that make a difference. I mean, this is proof in the pudding right here. And how meta, you know? Because when when you do this thing, do you include uh, a sort of like a play within a play? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So first, the most important thing I want to stress to all you opera lovers is that we have really exciting operatic selections, all of which had been written either before or by 1849, which are included as the backdrop of the story. But then there's also a script with actors, and the script comes from parts of Macbeth. The witches play kind of like the Greek chorus. And there's the impresario of the theater, who's our narrator taking us on the journey. And then we have 
most of the text is actually taken from original primary source documents from the people that participated in this, the two actors and the impresario. Of course, anyone who's going to see this, they will be able to enjoy your vocal stylings, Ashley. Is that, is that correct? That's correct, yes. <laughs> All right, and now I've got to know a little bit more about you, Anton. Uh, please talk about, you know, yourself, where you're from, where, you know, are you, uh, how, and your connection to Bay Street Theater. Well, I'm Spanish, and I'm here thanks to Ashley Bell and Divaria Production when uh, we started this collaboration about 10 years ago or 11 years ago. And uh, then by uh, 2015, I think, the uh, Vario Productions began this contact with uh, Bay Street and they invited me to direct La Traviata here. And uh, then, since then, uh, I've been invited uh, every year, even in, during the pandemic, doing Rival Queens, uh, the movie, <laughs> from Spain and United States. And that's, uh, well, this, this is my uh, relation with with Bay Street and with uh, the Varia Productions. I love it. So grateful to have you here and to uh, enjoy tomorrow at 8 p.m. the Shakespeare Riots, baystreet.org, for more information before I let you guys go. What haven't we talked about that you want to make sure that listeners know uh, ahead of tomorrow night's show? I want to make sure listeners know that we have a really extremely talented cast, both of actors and also of singers. Uh, the Chamber Orchestra, the New Asia Chamber Music Society, um, has artists from around the world. One of our, our violists just came back from Taiwan. Um, the tenor has performed in all seven continents of the world. And the baritone is also really well-renowned. And we have a music director who's come all the way from Spain. It's his first time in America, Sergio Martinez Zangronis. Oh, my gosh. Right. World-class performance at Bay Street Theater tomorrow night again. Baystreet.org for more information. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Ashley Bell and Anton Armendari here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. You just heard the Hot Sights and Sounds segment underwritten by Sag Harbor Cinema. This is Passenger, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM and PR Radio. And our skin is young Eyes as bright as the Spanish sun We had nothing we could hide Now my dear we are too golden leaves Clinging desperately to winter trees Held up here like a pair of While the sirens blare outside So what's left to say when every word's been spoken What's left to see when our eyes won't open 
What's left to do when we've lost all hope? I What's left to break when our hearts are broken apart? Sometimes. You remember how this started out? So full of hope, but now we're filled with doubt. A dirty joke we used to laugh about. It's not funny anymore I fear I choke unless I spit it out Still smell of smoke although the fire's gone out I can't live with you but I die without What's left to say when every word's been spoken? What's left to see when our eyes won't open? What's left to do when we've lost all hope? I'm What's left to break when our hearts are broken apart? Sometimes. What's left to say when every word's been spoken? What's left to see when our eyes won't open? What's left to do when we've lost all hope? And what's left to break when our hearts are broken apart? Sometimes. Passenger Golden Leaves from the Whispers record of 2014. Uh, you know, we had Paul Garthside scheduled for 1045, but he's a little early and I'm okay with going in a little early. We're talking about the Climate Festival at the Ross School this Sunday. It looks like there's going to be a lot of really cool local organizations that are going to be there 2 to 5 p.m. at the Ross School this Sunday. And we're talking uh, when it comes to uh, climate change and really the climate crisis that we are all amidst right now, um, what it really comes down to is personal uh, responsibility and accountability. Am I right in that in saying that, Paul? Absolutely, Gianna. Yeah, that's, so, what it's, that's exactly what it's about. So we're talking uh, a bit about uh, personal – what I like is, is a permit, uh, personal climate plan because that's what it all comes down to is what can we as individuals each do to help out planet earth so it seems like part of this climate uh, clapback festival will be developing a, a personal climate plan and i thank you so much for that because i think that that's really helpful to to talk to 
people one by one and say, well, what can you do today that will help out planet Earth? Even if it's even even if it's something as simple as not, say, littering, uh, you know, putting putting your your garbage in the right place or being more thoughtful about your garbage. Uh, a, a big one that you can do, I know, is consider letting go of plastic water bottles altogether. Sounds like you thought about this, Jenna. I, I, you know what? Do you have Since your own I, personal climate action plan? You know, I, I do. Every day I try to be a little bit better than the day before. I'm actually in the throes of letting go of the the uh, plastic water bottles altogether. I have not been able to kick it quite yet, but I'm on my way and I'm thoughtful about it and I'm trying all the time. How can I, how can I, how can I? Metal straw instead of a plastic straw, that's a good one. Um, you know, uh, what else, Paul? What well, uh, those are all good things, but I got to tell you, we're not going to recycle our way out of this problem. Beautifully yeah, said. I mean, you know, those those initiatives, the beach cleanups, you know, the the sorting our garbage, those are great kind of lubricants to get us focused and thinking in the right direction. But the problem is so much bigger than that. Yes. You know, and that's really what we're trying to get to grips with. It's almost, it's it's almost so big we don't really have the language to deal with it. You're right. Because if you look at the science, if you were to read the reports of the intergovernment panel on climate change, the UN body whose job it is to tell us what's happening. If you read those reports, the question you come back with is, why are we talking about anything else? The I love this. The, the problem is so big. You know, yes. So, yeah, it, I mean, it is... Especially, especially when you see uh, on, a, on a larger scale, even, even locally, how much uh, waste... And um, how much waste there there is in in maybe one uh, private entity in one's town, and then you start to multiply uh, sure. and think about the country and the world sure. and the amount of uh, of waste that goes on, whether it be f food or, or or otherwise. Food's a big one. Yeah, I mean, to go back to that, I mean, who was the comedian? I think it was Dave Chappelle who said, you know, uh, I don't get this climate crisis thing. I recycled. Well, and, and it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, recycling itself is almost a, a completely different animal in these most recent yeah. years when we consider the fact that, that China, for example, doesn't buy our stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah. But, if, if, you know, if we go right back to the beginning, the issue is the release of carbon dioxide, which produces this increasingly higher global temperature, um, and we're not quite sure where the science is as of October 2022, but we do know that at Glasgow, the last international conference, they, the scientists said the target should be one and a half degrees above pre-industrial levels. And they failed to get agreement in terms of commitments. And we now know that we are blowing through that ceiling. Right. We do not know how high it's going to go before we start turning it down, if we can, but it's going to be one and a half to three degrees because we've already set in motion right. so many changes. So um, we really got to, you know, bear down on reducing CO2 emissions and, and at the other end in sequestering the stuff. And I could talk a lot about that. And at this festival, there will be organizations there who are working on both ends of this problem.
So where where do we need to be? You already spoke about we can't recycle our way out of it. Uh, where does the focus really need to be, uh, both locally and, and globally? Well, for every individual, every family, every business, every school, yourself need to do exactly what you started this conversation by saying, we need a plan. Mm. You need a personal climate action plan to figure out all the things that you can do are going to make a difference. Now, it is not true that we're not going to recycle. That recycling is not worthwhile. I don't want to sow that idea. No, 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 no. And I didn't mean to. to all of these things help, but it is it is the emissions that we got to focus on. So mm. basically, we got to electrify as fast as we possibly can. Right. We got to restrain ourselves on travel, especially air travel, until they figure out how to run planes on hydrogen or something else. Um, you know, we've we've got to look at ourselves. It's clear that. Politically, it's too damn difficult. You know, we've, we're so divided that, and the, and the politics works on this sort of crazy four-year cycle. So it's very hard to get consensus. Mm. And you watch these conferences go by without commitments and you say to yourself, okay, folks, it's up yeah. to us. Yeah, it, it's especially recently hearing uh, what, what little comes out of these uh, conferences uh, it has been um, psychologically devastating for for someone who grew up cleaning parks in their their uh, spare time as a kid. Yeah, you know, do your part. We can do this uh, yeah. as long as we're, you know, it's it's it is very hard. And then you consider an area like ours. You, you mentioned air travel, and we think about uh, how many individuals are regularly taking a, a, a chopper out here from the city. Yeah. Look, we're, we're all guilty. We're all hypocrites. I mean, that's fundamental yes. to being a North American. You cannot right. live here without being a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, um, let me put it this way. Um, we know that the burdens of climate change, the effects, whatever they're going to be, we don't know quite how they're going to come at us, but they're coming. Um, they're going to fall very unequally. Well, they're already happening. They're if you, already if you look happening. At, if you look at the way that the storm patterns are changing, I mean, geez, we had a tornado in Mattituck right, last Sunday. Yeah, they're already changing. <laughs> but but those burdens, if you look globally and in our own country, they fall on the people who are least responsible for causing it mm. and on the people who are least able to deal with it. So Beautifully said. So that means that the responsibility for action falls on those who are able to, who are most affluent, the cause of the problem, us. Right. You know, that's my answer to the question, you know, why Ross School, why, you know, why here in the Hamptons, the affluent Hamptons, where consumption is so high, we have this crazy lifestyle. What is your hope to, to uh, speaking with community members, parents, kids uh, in this area, what, what do you hope that they will incorporate into their own personal climate change or climate plan uh, to help? Well, it, it all goes back to that personal climate action plan, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. And everyone's circumstance is different. Not everyone's a homeowner, some are renting. You know. So the things you do in terms of getting down your carbon footprint have to do with your particular lifestyle. That's why the P in that personal climate action plan is so important. It's going to be different for every circumstance. Of course. Um, but if you take a, uh, an institution like a school, you look at transportation, your heating, cooling costs, you look at all those operative issues. Then you look at your landscaping. 
But it turns out that landscaping has a huge influence on this because the other end of this is sequestering. Yes. Uh, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned landscaping because that has got to be huge. When you think uh, just on the, the problem of the drought this summer and then you looked at uh, there would be a handful of, of homes that were using water at exponentially higher rates than, than, than the rest of the community. And, right. you, and then you imagine that these are probably green lawns, which are, are basically deserts for, for native uh, animals and, and bugs and whatnot, that are probably also fertilized, which is leaching insecticides, pesticides right. and whatnot, <clears throat> fungicides into the water table. Yeah, you're way ahead of me. Yeah, all those things. That, I mean, right now, the development rate out here, we all know it's, it's crazy high. It's too high. Right. Um, we're clearing too much. Every tree you take out, is you release a whole ton of carbon. It's no longer a carbon sink. You replace it with a lawn. Right, right. And, you know, it turns out that the, the, the natural uh, vegetation is much better at sequestering carbon. And there's a whole movement now to push for regenerative gardening and landscaping. And that's going to do nothing but grow in the years ahead. Yes. Because that is one of the things you can do effectively. If yes. You, if you own property out here, <laughs> you got to take a look at I'm that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of of let the dandelions grow. Let's start there. There you go. Well, dandelion our way out of this. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen. My personal climate action plan is to just seriously. I know, and I, I think I'm trying to think of who who I spoke with recently. I think it was uh, the gentleman with uh, group for the East End. Yeah. Uh, Bob Bob DeLuca, and and he was saying, listen, I do this stuff. And I, I do what I can for the environment, knowing that that it might not be enough. And, yeah. and it's all you can do is to just try to hold on to hope and, and do what you can. And certainly uh, encourage others to do what they can. Yeah. It's, yeah. Hoping is not enough. I mean, that's the Jane Goodall line, you know, it's got to be hope with action. Yes. You know what, uh, Wallace Smith, Dr. Wally Smith, who, you know, our heart is with him as he's at Southampton uh, Hospital right now. He said uh, a word I cannot say on radio, but it's it's talk minus action equals yeah. this word that is actually very good for fertilizing your your uh, dandelions. He's our kind guy. We can't, we can't dandelion <laughs> our way out of this. Uh, but we do hope that you will take action and you will get involved. Uh, the Climate Clapback Festival will be this Sunday between 2 and 5 p.m., 18 Good Friend Drive in East Hampton. Um, I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Paul Gartside. Uh, this was a special segment that we've added in to uh, the program scheduling, and I hope that you enjoyed it. Before I let you go, Paul, what else should we say that you want to make sure listeners know about the festival and about uh, the future of our species and our planet? Well, there's a simple question. That's a Terry Gross question, Jan. Good Lord. <laughs> um, where do I start? Well, let's, let's just stick with the festival. Yeah, it's going to be a beautiful afternoon, and we're all going to learn a great deal. Yeah. So come if you can. Bring your students. It's free. It's free, and it's going to be great fun. Um, if you can come, there's other ways you can support us. 
I mean, this, you know, it's a big event to put on. It costs money. Any sort of funding help we can get mm -hmm. is great. Um, so, you know, those, that's the emphasis. I mean, I could, I, we could talk about the whole business of how we educate our kids. That's the other side of this. You know, yeah. as a school, we've got to think about, how, as parents, we have to think about how we're going to talk to our kids. Right. And then we've got to figure out how we're going to educate them and get them ready for what's coming. And that's a, that's a tricky, tricky business. We'll have to have Paul back on to talk more about that. That's a big, a big topic, but an important one. And kids, uh, as we have seen in recent years, they're uh, very, very good agents of change. Uh, and we are so grateful for the upcoming generations that are much more thoughtful. And, and I feel sure. like every generation is a little bit more because they see a little bit more of the effects of climate change. Uh, we'll leave it there, but we will be with you this Sunday, 2 to 5, Climate Clapback Festival at the Raw School. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Paul Gartside. This is Portugal, the man. Everyone is golden here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Oh
Everyone is golden. Portugal, the man. We've got ten and a half minutes before the end of this edition of The Heart. That means I'm going to have to hop over so many tracks I love, including America's sister, Golden Hair, which I used to listen to on the way to high school all the time. I'll play the Beatles' Golden Slumbers. Oh, geez, it's so hard to pick between. I feel like I'm picking between my babies here. All right, uh, ten more minutes of Golden Tracks. Probably the Stranglers, Golden Brown, My Morning Jacket, Golden. We'll see if we can sneak in a little Gandalf Golden Earrings here on the heart. If you want the full playlist, find it on the WLIWFM website, WLIW.org slash radio. Thank you to Jonathan Tolson from Sugar Sweet Treats, who just dropped off some Linzer tarts and ricotta cookies. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to share this with my loved ones. And that includes you, the listener of WLIWFM's Heart of the East End, 88.3 on the FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk. Of course, streaming online uh, at WLIW.org slash radio. Thank you so much to my guests this morning, J.D. Dillard, Ashley Bell, Anton Armendari, and Paul Gartside. Um, as well as our underwriters, Village Overhead Doors and Sag Harbor Cinema here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Oh, I can't even help it. I'm going to play America on Long Island's only NPR radio station. Tried to make it Sunday, but I got so damn depressed that I set my sights on Monday and I got myself undressed. Now, I ain't ready for the altar, but I do agree there's times when a woman sure can be a friend of mine.
Once there was a way to get back homeward. Once there was a way to get back home. Sleep, pretty darling, do not cry. And I will sing. Once there was a way to get back home, sleep, pretty darling, do not cry, and I will sing a lullaby. All right, Stag's Leap across the NPR gold edition of the Heart of the East End to lead you into the NPR news break with my morning jacket, Golden from the It Still Moves record of 2003. If you want to hear the whole golden edition of The Heart, you can find it on the Heart of the East End program page on WLIW.org slash radio. Feeling 